Father God, we thank you for the day that you have given us. How awesome and great it is just to come in your presence and worship you. You are indeed, Lord, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, and you are worthy to be worshiped. So, Father, we just bow our knee before you today, and we acknowledge that you have the right to be the sovereign Lord of our lives. Guide us as we open your word, Lord. Give us open hearts and open minds that we might receive the message that you would desire for us to receive today. Hide me behind your cross, Lord, not that people would hear what I have to say, but they would clearly hear you speaking through me. Father, I pray that we will not simply be hearers of your word this morning, but that we would be doers of your word, seeking to live out in front of a lost and dying world what it means to walk in relationship with you. We love you. We thank you for this time. I ask that you would guide us and direct us through your Holy Spirit, that your name would be lifted up on high. Because you tell us in your word, if your name be lifted up, you will draw people unto you. So we believe that, Lord, praying that you would work in the hearts and the lives of each person. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different than this morning. We don't, uh, this morning, this is not something we would usually do on a Sunday morning. But you're going to hear a whole lot about this over the next several weeks in Sunday morning worship services. We are getting ready to start a new ministry that is called the Link Team ministry. And really what we are hoping through, to do through this ministry is to link people to the body of believers here in Christ, whether that would be to link them through salvation and following in believers' baptism and becoming a part of this body, or whether that is to maybe go back and reconnect some people that have been lost along the way who one time were very active in this body but now have become inactive. We hope to link them back to the body. As your pastor, I want you to begin to pray this morning about how God would desire to use you in this ministry. I am convinced that God desires us to use all of us to reach out to the people in our community and those in our church who have fallen along the way somewhere. You know, sometimes it's easy to forget about people once they've been out of church for a number of months. But one of my hopes and my desires as a pastor is that we would never, ever forget anyone. That we would always walk alongside everyone no matter what it is that they're going through. That we might encourage them. You know, I'm convinced that is biblical. In Galatians, Paul writes and says, we have been called to bear one another's burdens. Isn't that so true? Sure we are. And the best place in the world for that to happen is in the community of faith. Well, we have a real privilege this morning. We have in our midst one who is an expert in that area, and his name is Brother Bob Killam. And I've asked Brother Bob to come share with us this morning a word of testimony about his love for outreach in the church. 
He's going to share with you a little bit of his passion. I've actually asked Brother Bob if he would be willing to lead this ministry for us. So I want you to get to know who he is. Many of you or some of you may know Brother Bob. They were been here for years. They left. They come back. I'm still trying to figure out how it works. I don't know if Brother Travis brought them back or if they brought Brother Travis back. I'm not real sure yet. We're still trying to figure that out. But I am so glad to have Brother Bob and Miss Scotty Killam as a part of this body of believers. And the first time I met him, I knew that he had a heart and a love for people. And when he expressed that to me, I said, Brother Bob, I want you to pray about something for me. I want you to pray about heading up a ministry for me. So I'm going to invite him to come and let him share a little bit about his heart. He's going to be on mic one this morning, Chris. Thank you, Brother Jeff. As he mentioned, my name is Bob Killam. My wife's name is Scotty Killam. She's already left. I'm going home to your first service. But we came here a few months ago, came back to this church, and Brother Jeff, I hate to admit it, we were following them. Actually, not, we weren't just following them. We were following the grandkids, all right? They just happened to be part of the package. All right. <laughs> but... Uh, it, it's a blessing to be back here today. This is family. And uh, when, we, when Scotty and I rejoined, we were at the, going to the new members class. And on our way home after the first class, we kind of got a little chuckle. We thought, you know, this is kind of funny. Here we are in a new members class, and we probably have more seniority in this church than 80% of the people in it. But here we are again. And... Um, you know, it's we're 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 so blessed to to have a son-in-law that, and that's people know us because Travis is our son-in-law, youth pastor, and then of course our daughter Megan, and then the three little hogs, all right, Hudson, Brazos, and Paxton. Now, the Link Team ministry that we're talking about, Brother Jeff in the first service said that I was the face of this ministry. Now. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Can you imagine this face being the face of a ministry? All right, no comments. Uh, we only affirm here in this service right here today, all right, <laughs> whether it's true or not. But the, uh, the key word that I think that today that, that I want to bring to you, in my experience, is called outreach. You see, 25 years ago, almost to the day in 1994, I was hired by the athletic director at Lumberton ISD, Kevin Johnson. Name sound familiar? Yep, he was my boss for several years here. What do you think that says for me? All right. But anyway, Kevin hired me, but he also did one other thing that always that stood out just real quick to, to him, to, to me and to Scotty, is he invited us to his church at Crestwood. And and Finding a church family has always been very important to Scotty and me, wherever we've been. That's, that's one of the number one uh, things that we, that we look for first is, is our church family. It's very important. So just the fact that he mentioned Crestwood, that, that gave us a, a thought about Crestwood in the, in the first place. And then when we moved here, now how many of you would like to drive a U-Haul all the way from El Dorado, Texas to Lumberton? El Dorado's, other, I mean, it's 
do you know where Sonora is or San Angelo? It's about a seven-hour drive. And we were up all night trying to cram everything that we could into the back of that U-Haul and then drive here, got up at the crack of dawn, drove here. We were exhausted, and we didn't know anybody except Kevin. But we, were, we, we didn't know how we were going to unload everything, and then an angel appeared in the name of Joe Smart. Do you all know Joe? Joe and Ellie used to be a part of this church. Joe was a coach at Lumberton, and Joe showed up, and he said, Hey, I'm, I'm Joe Smart. I coach at the high school. He said, What can I do to help? And that man gave of himself that day and helped us unload into a little house that we were renting uh, on West Chance that's not even there anymore. All right. But anyway, that's, that's all part of outreach right there. Then, as, a, uh, the, as time went on, as Brother Larry Stagg said, we, we continued in our mission field, which was coaching and teaching, and we moved off to San Marcos to be closer to our daughter, who was at University of Texas. And I was the head basketball coach at uh, San Marcos High School. And to show you how this church has affected us, the ministry of Crestwood never stopped. Matter of fact, when it began, way back when Kevin hired us, I'm going to backpedal just a little bit, and I apologize for that. Scotty and I were going to visit as many churches as we could because we wanted to be in the Lord's will. We wanted to be where, where the Lord wanted us to be, and we wanted to make sure of things. So we did visit Crestwood first, thanks to Kevin and Joe, and we really enjoyed it. It had a young, vibrant pastor. It had uh, uh, a lot of activities for our, our kids, the music for Scotty, and our Sunday school was great. Uh, so we, we were impressed. But the thing that really caught our mind was the very next night on Monday night, there was a knock-knock at our door, and two ladies, uh, Beverly Page and Mary uh, Carruth. Do you all remember these two ladies? Oh, saints. Beverly taught the, the kids Sunday school, and Mary was the uh, organist here at the church. And they came and, and literally just fellowshiped with us for a while that night. It really meant a lot to us. Well, but we did as we planned. We visited a different church each week. But every Monday night, knock, 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 knock. And there was a team from Crestwood Baptist Church. And finally... I guess there were enough knocks at the door. Brother Jim Burt and Buddy Cox, a, a deacon, they were the team one night, and they came by and visited. We said, hey, we're in. Matter of fact, of all those weeks, we only had one phone call from a pastor from one of the other churches, but Crestwood was there every Monday night. And it was so good to feel wanted, all right, and appreciated and loved. And that, that got a story with Crestwood. But let's fast forward to San Marcos now. That's a long way from here. I was a little nervous about the situation. Nobody, no, how many of you teachers love in-service? It's before school. That's when the suicide rate among faculty goes up real high. You've got to sit through those things. And once again, there was a, a note for me to come to the door, and two more angels appeared from Crestwood. They'd rode a motorbike, and they were riding it around Central Texas. They just thought... Uh, they stopped by and say hi. They got me out of 30 minutes of in-service, and that was awesome. All right? 
Brother Larry Staggs, a few weeks later, came by during my conference period. He just happened to be in the area, took me out to eat lunch. And, boy, those things, that, that was a shot in the arm. Because I'm going to tell you, how many of you have been to San Marcos before? We all think of it as a paradise, but let me tell you, the kids there, there it's a rough place. Gangs and, yeah, you know, and I was stuck that first year in the freshman building, and most of my freshmen were like 18 and 19 years old. Didn't care a lick about school. Matter of fact, they, they got a gun out of one of them's locker that I think was going to use on me the next day. Uh, I needed stuff like that. And here's Crestwood still ministering to me miles and miles away. Now, we're probably on a time frame. I'm going to have to speed things up, but there's a couple other little stories here. Number one, um, I had been at San Marcos my second year. We were, we were good. I thought we were anyway, basketball, and I wanted to play some of the best teams from, from another area, so I got us in the Nederland Basketball Tournament. Where's Gene Pickering? I hope you don't remember this. Okay. So... We, uh, we got in the tournament, but at San Marcos, we weren't very wealthy, and we were going to need a place to stay for four nights. And there were, there were people from the church here that volunteered to let us stay with them. And I'm going to tell you their names. There's so many people that's helped us over the years, but, but this is a great moment. There was Charlie and Karen Latino, Luke and Harriet Latino, Larry and Debbie Crosby, and then those Matthews, Spencer and Teresa. They housed all 15 of my girls for us. Now, you got to know that San Marcos, my team, I had out of 15 players, there was one white. The rest were minority. And a few days before we came down here, before we started practice, two of my best players came to me and said, Coach, are you sure, you, are you sure that you know what you're doing? I said, what do you mean? She said, Coach, we're going to be staying in Lumberton. That's right there by Vider. And we've heard a lot of stories about Vider and Lumberton. Coach, please tell us that we're not going to wake up in the morning and there's a cross burning in our yard. I said, no, the, these people, you're going to love them. It, it's going to be an awesome experience. And, and, and you're, gonna, you're just going to have a wonderful time. And they did. Matter of fact, these families, not only did they give them a place to live, or excuse me, stay, it might have been living for them, uh, but they also went and attended their games, and they supported them, even in the championship game when guess who we had to play? Lumberton. All right? Yeah. And Gene and Kelly, your daughter probably scored about 50,000 points that night. And then where's Melissa? There's a dark spot in your family, too, because you've got your son-in-law's sister, Maggie Crater, who was one of the nicest little girls you'd ever met and came to our basketball camp every year when I was coaching there. She hit a shot from just inside midcourt at the buzzer and beat us by one stinking point. All right. There, you need to be up here at this altar to, here in just a little bit. All right, bottom, the rest of the story, the bottom line. Those kids still remember that time that they had with these people here and their families at Crestwood. I still stay in touch with them, and that's one of the things they'll always remember. And on Sunday, before we went back to San Marcos, we sat right there, and you guys fellowshiped with us and made those girls feel like they were the queen of the day. 
I'll never forget that. And I'm so thankful for Crestwood Baptist Church. Now, there are other things about Crestwood that in as far as outreach, you know, there's different types of outreach. But how about this? My daughter grew up in here in, at this church. And at the age of about 10, I'm going to guess it was 10. I asked your mama. She thought it was 10. One evening, she was sitting in, the, in one of those seats right there. And one of my junior varsity basketball players, Jamie Monk, Jamie Sander for now. How many of you know the Monks? Remember the Monks? Jamie Monk, for some reason, during the altar call, went down, took her by the arm, led her right up here, this altar, and began praying with her. Pardon me. It's a big moment for Dad. And, she, and Megan accepted Jesus Christ in her heart right then. What a moment. What's well, a great form of outreach right there. And that's here at this church with this church family. And then, as Megan got older in the youth, she started hanging around with a fellow named Travis Hogg, who was also a member of the youth. And then on 777, July the 7th, 2007, at 2.11 in the afternoon, they got married in this room right here. This, this church has meant a lot to us. The, the outreach that this, this church has done in so many ways has affected our lives so positively. And now here we are back. Thank you, Travis. And thank you, church, for taking him in. Now, outreach, visitation. We wouldn't, I don't know that we'd be here without visitation. It's very important. Brother Jeff mentioned me one time, and, I, and, and I, it really hit home on this. He said that if you look back on the visitation reports, when we had when our visitation was its greatest moments, our attendance in our church was the greatest, the giving was greatest, everything in this church was really booming and prospering. We want to keep it that way. God's family is right here. And if you'll look around at the people right beside you, you're related to them because we're all children of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ right here. All right. We need to be there for each other, whether it's visiting visitors, whether it's visiting people who may not have been able to be here in a while for whatever reason, or just checking up on people. Let them know that they're loved and they're a part of our family and they're important to us. So that's what we want to do with this link team is to get that outreach part going again. There have been some wonderful people in this church that have kept it going for years and years. All right? And we want to keep it going now. Brother Jeff can't do it all himself. I can't do it all myself either. But as a group and as a family, we can. Now, I'm going to close out here, and Brother Jeff's probably thinking, thank God, I've only got five minutes left to do a sermon. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think... In your heart, what does God want you to do for his, his family here? All right, does he want you in some form of outreach? Is he tugging on your heart right now? Well, I'm going to do a little historical thing, and I've done this before years ago, but I, most of you weren't members then, so I'm going to try it again. What is, the, so, what is our sword in Ephesians? The Word of God, the Bible. 
All right, y'all have heard the story of Colonel William Barrett Travis. Brad, I know you have. You're a historian, all right? And he was at the Alamo. And a couple days before the end of the Alamo, when he knew that there was no more help coming, he got all his men together and he, and he took his sword and he drew a line in the sand. He said, boys, you probably, if you stay, you're probably not going to make it through. But he said, I'm going to stay and I'm going to fight. Who else is going to join me? And all but one of 180 plus men crossed that line. Well, this morning, I'm kind of drawing a line in the sand as well with my sword. And I'm crossing that line. I know Brother Jeff's crossing that line. And I'm looking to see out here who else is going to cross that line and serve with us to serve Crestwood Baptist Church, to be a part of the link team, the special forces that's going to keep this thing going. All right? Who's going to be involved in outreach? It does not matter your age or if you're male or female or whatever in life. God can use you. And, he, and we're classic examples of that. Love y'all. Good to be here. Then. All right, I'm back on. Thank you very much this morning for sharing with us, Brother Bob. I just wanted you to have an opportunity to share your heart with the people at Crestwood, and I want to encourage you as church members to begin to pray about how God wants to use you in this ministry as we look to the future. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm glad I only gave Brother Bob five minutes this morning. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Brother Bob's a lot like me. It's like what my wife says, Jeff, you can't get up and tell anybody your name in 30 minutes. And so Brother Bob and I are cut out of the same mold, but I want to just spend a moment challenging us from God's Word. I'm going to be brief, but I think it's very good for us to hear from God's Word. And the reason I asked, or one of the reasons I asked Brother Bob to share with us this morning is I, want, I thought that his testimony would tie in well with the theme of the message today. The subject of the sermon this morning is this, bringing people to Jesus. Bringing people to Jesus. And this is a question that I would ask you this morning as a follower of Christ. When is the last time you brought someone to Jesus? Or maybe the more appropriate question this morning for all of us would be this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you brought someone to Jesus? I hope that you would agree with me this morning when I say this, that God's Word challenges us to bring people to Jesus Christ. I want to share a story with you this morning about four men who brought their friend to Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 5. Many of you are familiar with this story. It's the story of the paralytic. It's recorded in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is Luke that gives us 
the largest or the most detail concerning this story. So I want you to follow along as I read this story that is found in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, according to what we read in the other two gospel accounts, Matthew and Mark, we know that Jesus Christ was at this time teaching in the town of Capernaum. And a group of religious leaders had come to hear his teaching. Now listen to what it says here. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, Jesus said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now I want us to just pause right here because I believe in Jesus' statement here that he makes to this man, we learn two very important truths that we need to agree upon as we think in terms of, of outreach. First, are you surprised by how Jesus Christ responds to this man? When I read this story, I am very surprised that Jesus Christ chose to respond to the man on the bed in this way. I mean, think about it. After all, he had been brought by his friends to Jesus Christ for the purpose of being healed. But when Jesus Christ looks at this man, he doesn't say to him, get up, take your bed, you are made whole, you are well, go about your way. That is not what Jesus Christ says at all. In this passage, in this story, Jesus Christ says, man, your sins are forgiving. And I would suggest to you this morning, through this statement, Jesus Christ teaches us a very important truth. This is the truth that Jesus Christ is teaching in that statement. Man's greatest need in life is not for physical and emotional healing. Man's greatest need in life is for spiritual healing. Do you see that in this passage of Scripture? I've often wondered what in the world must have those four men up on top of the roof been thinking. They have cleared away the tile. They have taken up most of their morning. It had to be a challenging effort to get this man to Jesus Christ. They show up at his house. When they arrive at the house, they realize they can't get in the door because of the large crowd. They go up onto the top of the roof. They clear away the tiles. They think to themselves, if we can only get this man in front of Jesus Christ, he's going to heal them. And then lo and behold, that's not what Jesus Christ does. Now, if I was on that roof with those other three men, I would be thinking to myself, what in the world is he thinking? Doesn't he know that we have brought this man here to be physically healed? But that is not Jesus Christ's first response to this man. 
And through his response, he is trying to teach us a very, very important message, a very important truth. Mankind's greatest need is spiritually. The second truth that we learn from that statement in this story is this. Man's greatest need can only be met by Jesus Christ. Do you see that in the statement of Jesus Christ? He looks at this man lying on this bed that has been lowered down through the roof, and as he looks at him, he says, Son, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, after that, that starts a dialogue. The religious leaders begin to, care to, I mean, to criticize Jesus Christ. They even raise the question, Who can forgive sins except for God alone? By his very statement, Jesus Christ is claiming to be God. Only Jesus Christ can forgive sins. Man's greatest need in life is a spiritual need, and only Jesus Christ can meet man's greatest needs. Only Christ can forgive people's sins. That's the statement that Jesus Christ is making. Now let's go back to the story and let's read the rest of it. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemings? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now listen to what he says in verse 22. Jesus is going to respond. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? You are to say, Rise and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Don't we serve a gracious and merciful Savior? Do you see that? I mean, when I, when I read this story, that is the first thing that just jumped... How merciful and gracious Jesus Christ. Not only does he just provide spiritual healing for this man, he also provides physical healing for this man. Do you see that? It's, Jesus didn't have to do that, did he? No. And surely Jesus Christ was teaching an important truth through what he was saying here. But what we see is the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ when he looks at this man and he says, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he, what had, what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today and indeed they had. Can I suggest to you this morning that every single one of us in our lives who know Jesus Christ has experienced extraordinary things? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He has taken that which is dead and He has made it alive. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave rose you and I back to life out of our dead trespasses. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
And I believe in these four men in this story, we are going to see some characteristics that we need to emulate if we are going to reach our community for Jesus Christ. If we are going to minister to people in their hurt and pain, there are some things that we are going to need to do. Number one, first, we will need to have a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. Did you notice that in this story? These men were desperate to get their friends, get their friend to Jesus Christ. I have often wondered why these men didn't just wait until the crowd dispersed. Why not just tell their friend, hey, how about us just waiting till tomorrow? We'll come back tomorrow when Jesus Christ is not so busy. I mean, think about it for a moment. Who could blame them? Think about all that they had done. They had arrived at this man's home. We don't know exactly what time this story takes place. They had loaded him up on a bed. They had carried him through the dusty streets of Capernaum. When they arrived there at the door, the home is so crowded, no one can get in. They can't make their way through to see Jesus Christ. Who in the world would blame them if they just simply said, hey, it just must not be in God's timing? You know what we'll do? We'll try a different day. We'll try later on. But that's not what we see in this story, is it? As a matter of fact, we see a sense of urgency in these men as they desperately uh, tried to seek a way to get their friend to Jesus Christ. It couldn't wait... Today was the day that it had to happen. Today was the day they had to get their friend to Jesus Christ. Now I want us to pause this morning. I want us to think about that in terms spiritually. This is what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, in the 2nd verse concerning salvation. He said, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When is the best time to bring people to Jesus Christ? I would tell you the best time to bring people to Jesus Christ is anytime, anywhere. That's what I would tell you today. As a matter of fact, I was reminded of this in the first church that I pastored. First church that I pastored, one of the earliest funerals I did was of a gentleman in the church. I prayed about it and I really felt led to offer a salvation message at that funeral, which I often do. At the end of the service, there was a little old lady who came up to me. She was very sweet and she was very genuine. I'd known her, knew her for years. And she didn't mean anything by it. She came up and she put her arm around me and she said, you know, Brother Jeff, I don't think the best time to preach a salvation message is at, is at a funeral. And I looked out at her, and with respect in my voice and kindness, I said, I can't think of a better time to preach a salvation message because it is at a funeral that people are dealing with the reality of death. The truth of God's word is this. Everyone is going to die unless Jesus Christ returns. 
And at the moment in time they die, their eternity is sealed forever. There are no do-overs. The gospel message is an urgent message and we need to take every opportunity that is given to us to make Jesus Christ known, to bring people to Jesus Christ. And there is no story that makes that truth a reality more than this story right here. There was a sense of urgency about these men. People's eternity hang in the balance. Bringing people to Jesus Christ requires a sense of urgency on our part. It does. It does. There's something else I see in these men that we learn. If you're going to bring people to Jesus Christ, you need a willingness to sacrifice. A willingness to sacrifice. Earlier when I read this story, did you notice the extent that these men were willing to go to bring their friend to Jesus? You know, I often read this story. I'm always amazed by the four men in this story. We don't know a lot about them other than the fact we can assume that they were probably friends of the man that they went and brought to Jesus. We don't even know that for sure. Nowhere does it say in any of the gospel accounts. I like to think when I read this story that these guys had grown up as childhood friends. I don't know that. Maybe they had done some uh, stickball out in the streets of Capernaum together, if that's what they did back in, in Jewish culture, I'm not sure. Maybe they had fished at the Sea of Galilee together. Maybe they had been at one another's weddings. I'm not sure. But I will tell you this, I am sure of this. Those four men were willing to sacrifice on behalf of their friend to get him to Jesus. They were willing to sacrifice. I mean, you think about this story, and it is so easy to see in this story their willingness to sacrifice on behalf of their friends. First, they sacrificed their time. There was, this was no easy task. For sure. I mean, think about it. They went to the home. They got him on the bed. They marched him through the streets of Capernaum. We're not even sure how far he lived from the home. Once they arrive at the home, they see that they can't get inside the home because of the crowd. Now, at that time, I can tell you what I would have done. I would have said, hey, you know what? I gave it my best shot. We're just going to have to try on a different day, but that is not what these guys do. Can you imagine in your mind for a moment they show up at this home, and when they show up at this home, they see the crowd and they realize there's no way to get this man in to see Jesus Christ. But rather than giving up, what do they do? They choose right then. I can almost see them. They come together outside that home. They huddle together and they make a plan. We've got to get our friend to Jesus Christ. We've got to bring him to Jesus Christ. Tomorrow is not soon enough. It has to be done today. They were willing to sacrifice their time, but not only were they willing to sacrifice their time, they also were willing to sacrifice their standing in the community. I mean, think about it. They just tore a hole in the roof of their neighbor's home. I don't think they made any friends of the homeowners that day. I mean, can you imagine sitting in your home one evening with a group of people teaching the Word of God and all of a sudden you hear a skill saw crank up and someone starts sawing through the roof of your home? 
Or what about even here? What if this morning as we are standing here, someone thought, well, if I can just get this man to these people here, they can pray for him. And the church was so full of people, they couldn't get them inside the door. So they went up to the roof of the building and they began to saw a hole in the roof of the building and let him down so that he could come here and be able. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what our response would be to that? What in the world are those people doing? What are they thinking? Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you willing to sacrifice to see people brought to Jesus? I will just clearly tell you, you won't bring people to Jesus without sacrifice. Sacrifice your time, your talents, maybe your livelihood, maybe some friends along the way. These men were willing to sacrifice everything to get their friend to Jesus Christ. But I noticed one other thing about these men that we need to also emulate in our life. These men were persistent. They refused to give up. They let nothing stand in their way of getting their friend to Jesus Christ. Now, I will tell you, if I found myself in this man's situation, I would hope I had four friends like his. Wouldn't you? Hey, Jeff, we're just going to be over on Saturday. We're just going to bring you down. We're going to let you see Jesus. He's going to take care of your problem. I wonder when it comes to bringing people to Jesus, how often we give up before we really try. We say things like, well, I've known that, a pers- I've known that person all my life. They're never going to change. What good does it do for me to strike up a spiritual conversation with that person? It is utterly hopeless. Persistence. These men were persistent in getting their friend to Jesus Christ. Now, please understand me this morning when I say this. We can't force anyone to come to Jesus. I realize that. That's true. But I would tell you this. We should never, ever, ever give up. We should never give up. We should continue to persist with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of a story of when I was in seminary It was a story that was shared by my evangelism professor. He was trying to impress upon us, young men, the importance of being persistent with the gospel message and continuing to share with people no matter how many times. To never, ever give up. And he related a story to us of when he went to the first pastorate in a small community When he went to the church there, there was a woman who was very involved. He met her husband one day. He was a banker, but he never attended worship services. 
So my professor struck up a conversation with him, and in that conversation, he began to realize that this man was spiritually lost. So he invited the banker to have lunch with him one day. They met together at a restaurant, and at some point in time during their conversation, my professor turned it to spiritual things, and he shared the gospel with him. After sharing the gospel, the banker let him know that he didn't really have time for Jesus. That was not important to him. My professor looked at the man and he said to him, well, if there's ever a time in life you have questions that you want to have answered about Jesus Christ or you just want to know how to have a relationship with him, you feel free to call me. I would love to share with you. As the years wore on and he continued to minister in that community, every six months or so, my professor would call him on the phone, that banker, and he would invite him to lunch. And at some point in time in their conversation, he would turn it to spiritual things and he would get around to Jesus Christ. Eventually, after years of praying for the man, my professor was called to another church as he was preparing to leave the community only a few days before he was packing up and leaving, that banker called him on the phone. He said, man, is it, do you have time to have lunch with me just one more time? And my professor graciously accepted the invitation and he went to lunch. That day, the conversation turned toward Jesus Christ and the banker said, I know I need Jesus. Would you just please share with me one more time about how I can know him? At the end of that meal, that man received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. What's most amazing about the story are the next words out of the banker's mouth. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for being persistent in sharing the gospel. Listen, folks, if we're going to bring people to Jesus Christ, we will have to have a sense of urgency. If we're going to bring people to Jesus Christ, we'll have to be willing to sacrifice. And if we're going to bring people to Jesus Christ, we'll have to be persistent, refusing to ever give up. In this story, there are two different groups of people. There are the four men who brought their friend to Jesus Christ. And then there are a group of religious leaders, Pharisees, and teachers of the law who idly sat by, contented to watch Jesus perform the miracle and then to simply criticize everything that he had done. Can I ask you a question this morning? Which group do you find yourself in today? Are you bringing people to Jesus Christ? Or are you contented just to sit by? I like what one man said. 
He said, you're either on the way with Jesus or you are in the way of Jesus. Which are you? Father God, we thank you for your love and the way you've spoken truth into our hearts and lives. Father, what a challenging message for all of us today as we consider bringing people to Jesus Christ. For the believer, I'm convinced, Lord, there's no greater privilege than leading people to you. So, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives this morning, just showing us the decision that we need to make. Father, as followers of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would be committed to bringing people to Jesus Christ, showing them the way. Father, you work during this time of invitation, just showing each one of us the decision that we need to make. Father, I pray that we would ask ourselves the challenging question this morning. Are we in the way of Jesus? Or are we on the way with Jesus? You guide and direct us through your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.